Yeah, you know, we're, we're having dozens of conversations every week with um, um, organizations signing up onto MMI to decide which counterparty they choose because they are ultimately responsible for um, the security and um, so some of the exposures that they might have if they are acting as that third party approver. And, and, and make no mistake, there are operational risks to consider even if you decide to be in control of, of your keys and just use the software vendor. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the, you know, traditionally, you know, thought of, um, certifications that you would consider, you know, um, SOC 2 compliance, ISO certification, the pedigree of the team, the track record, um, you know, some of the insurance policies that go with the, um, the wallet tech. Um, and, and, you know, as, as an aggregator across these platforms, you know, we're working um, extremely hard to provide further information about what it is that you are about to do in Web3, and then furthermore, um, having, you know, using that information to, to then take certain safeguards to keep you safe in DeFi, you know, so, so maybe allow listing only a certain kind of exposure or certain kinds of activities. So there, there's a ton of work um, that we are doing to help you stay safe. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are tools that help you screen for uh, counterparty exposure as as you could as well as you could in in DeFi. Um, we're definitely we're working with several partners to solve for decentralized on-chain identity, and um, I don't think that's um, that 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 privacy is a feature and not a bug. Like I do think that there is value in being able to solve for that in a scalable way. Um, and, and, and furthermore, you know, continued analytics that provides uh, visibility into what you're about to do and provides scores into the risk that you are about to take uh, when you interact with Web3. So you talked uh, a bit about some of the, the operational risks about getting involved. Um, and anybody who wants to further elaborate can just look at the news for the last eight weeks like we've been uh, alluding to. Um, but... With these risks in place, the the, the rewards must uh, be uh, at least overwhelming to certain of your customers. Um, can you give us a couple examples of what the rewards are? Like, what 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 is the benefit of of taking the time to see through all of these obstacles? Yeah, and I you know that is um, so I. I, so even though I've come from sort of the trading world and I'm, I'm used to looking at sort of risk, risk versus reward and, you know, is it worth doing the trade, right? That's one way to look at it. But the other way to think about this is really what is the promise of this technology? And, you know, I would urge organizations that are looking at this meaningfully um, to say, well, we actually don't know what kinds of things you could do with this technology. I'm, I'm extremely enthusiastic about traditional companies coming to say, well, let's, let's just try this out. Like, like, let's open up a MetaMask institutional wallet and begin to experiment because we're, we've moved past that phase in from 2017, 18, where you had expensive POCs 
that were long drawn out and consortia based to now saying the cost of you being able to set up a wallet and start to experiment in Web3 is as low as $200 a month, right? So the, the barrier to entry has considerably reduced. And therefore, a, a large variety of organizations are showing up. And so these, these companies might not.
and DeFi generally. And what we've seen happen is a bit of a shift change over the last six months. If one thinks of Web3, kind of holistically, you've seen a series of killer apps and arguably DeFi was the first killer app. Kazaminsu. And so to so answer your question, I think what we've seen is particularly over the last uh, year to date and over the last month or so, it's just a, a, a deep fundamental interest from a range of organizations allocating into Web3, focusing on NFTs. And this sort of spans the gamut from luxury brands, you know, to sports franchises, um, to, you know, um, real estate companies, different entities realizing that there's an opportunity to monetize IP, to distribute IP, to hold IP. And that obviously is creating tremendous interest. And so I think, um, you know, the conversations we hear often and the questions we hear often coalesces around how do we get access? How do we get access securely? How do we manage risk? How do we take risk? And then around that, thinking about all the typical things that organization needs to focus on. So how do we report on these assets? How do we monitor them? How do we make sure we're compliant? Typical transaction flow process of an organization. And Tegan, uh, your, your, your company uh, is uh, offering some rather distinct services uh, from Omer and, and Johan. Uh, tell us about what, what, are the, what are companies coming to you with uh, and what, what, how are you guys trying to help solve them? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot near, a lot of developers that build on top of the graph. They build applications with the graph and the use cases are exploding beyond just DeFi to many different use cases that congest much more data, which is what the graph helps them with. And so it's use cases from the metaverse to art platforms to gaming. So much, much new many new use cases where they need a lot of faster innovation um, and so we're shifting for that and i think that the conversation has really shifted in the recent years away from just like tokens and trading to the real use cases within technology and, and web3 and um, everyone's kind of coming and asking like do i need to be able to hold tokens at my company and it's like the answer is is yes because You need those tokens to be able to participate in in these these different technologies. 
can you just quickly before before we um, go on to Joseph, can you just uh, explain a little bit more? Um, the usability in the protocols is very important. So, for example, if you look at an application like Uniswap that builds on the graph, they have a token and you can actually participate in the Uniswap ecosystem with that token. You can be a liquidity provider, you can earn fees. Um, and also, there's just a much better ease of if you're a global company and you need to send money overseas to many different countries. The, it's much easier to be able to do that with something like USDC or Bitcoin or Ethereum than it is. To deal with a bunch of different payment vendors. Um, and so I think that everyone needs to kind of get in that mindset, make, make the arguments with your accounting teams, with your finance teams, and really start to. Hello. Slides. Uh, one thing that that Tia mentioned that I think is really interesting, an interesting distinction to make. between, you know, tokens and NFTs. Previously in the ICO boom, previously, to retail users how do we make sure that utility and governance and incentives are aligned correctly and so i think you know it's exciting to be in this seat today because the conversations are much more broad than just As I like to say, that my mom and dad actually know, um, rolling out Web3 offerings um, or supposedly Web3 offerings. But if you look under the hood, increasingly, I think there's not actually any sort of blockchain underneath there. There might not even be any sort of open source technology at all. Um, can we just take a moment? I'd, I'd like to address this to the whole group. And can you just clarify once and for all like, can you have Web3 without a blockchain? What is the relationship? between Web3 and a blockchain? And what should be our reaction if we see a company uh, dressing up uh, a Web2 uh, service and calling it Web3? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like Web 2.5. I think it's a really nice nod to the industry that we're doing something right, but you can't have Web 3 without a blockchain. Web 3 is a brand new platform for truly decentralized applications to live. And the reason Web 3 is so, the reason we are pioneering in this space is so that we can give the power, the control, and the is mandating a product market fit for blockchain like this is what blockchain is built for and now you have you know one of the most powerful governmental bodies or ruling bodies in the entire world mandating that the existing interoperability protocols or the existing protocols like actually aren't interoperable enough so that's very exciting i also want to point out that even companies that are very web3 forward or purport to be web3 forward uh still have a little bit of a ways to go so twitter is a great example of this you can verify your PFP on Twitter. So if you own an FT, you own a board ape, you can actually like verify that. And then you get like a little hexagon, you pay a monthly fee. It's very clever. But I think, you know, the last time I checked, you're not actually personal signing or signing type data to verify that, that you're just verifying that that, that is the PFP that lives on blockchain uh, and is the actual collection. And so I think even for companies that are web through forward today, there's still a lot, a lot of ways to go. Deegan? I was just going to say the whole Web 2.5 movement reminds me a little bit of, do you remember when there used to be blockchain, not Bitcoin? And a lot of the institutions said like blockchain, not Bitcoin. And it's kind of missing the point. And I feel
like it's a similar thing today, but it pushed the industry forward in a positive way. It's interesting you say that. So you do see that as a positive thing. I, I, I'm remembering like a particular uh, iced tea company that added the word blockchain to it. And I think there was a, a blockchain pharmacy at one point in time. The confusion. Um, do, do you see uh, institutions slapping Web3 on products that aren't actually Web3 as sort of healthy baby steps and maybe getting familiar with a new concept? Or is it distracting in a way that might be leading to slowing down of uh, net progress? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's kind of both, right? I think it overall, I'm a little bit more optimistic about it, but it is, it is confusing. And even with Jack doing the Web 3.5 thing, like people are just wrapping their heads now around Web 3. And it's, it's a troll, but it's a confusing troll. And so, but I would say, you know, people ask me, are you scared that you're going to be disintermediated and it's all going to end up on centralized? Servers. And my answer is no. I think the, the brand new use cases that we'll see that are... going to be really exciting they're not going to happen in a centralized context it's not possible to happen in a centralized context they're interacting with pre but don't really and so i think this all just great validation for what's being built in the ecosystem Joseph, you mentioned the the proposed regulation coming out here uh, in, the, in the social media space. Uh, I'd love to ask generally to the to the whole group here, um, from a regulatory perspective, um, are, are there any other instances that you can see where um, the flaws of Web two, the centralization of Web two, the walled gardens that created around these giant companies that have essentially owned the internet? Um, are, are being forcibly changed by, by regulations? Or is that something that uh, builders can do with open source technology from the ground up? How do, how do those two things connect? No one wants to touch the regulation question. <laughs> I think that we as an industry need to self-regulate. And I think that a lot of projects are, are doing this already. A lot of the on and off ramps when it comes to bridges to the Web3 ecosystem are already very regulated. And, but I do think like for traditional finance, that is what's holding this, them back, right? Is, is regulation. We're seeing this movement to KYC DeFi in certain instances. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. However, I would hate to see regulation stifle innovation. If we did that to the early days of the internet, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons, they wouldn't be in the United States. They would be offshore. And so I personally want to keep a lot of the innovation here, though the, the crypto space is, it's a, it's a global movement. So any regulation in the EU or in the US, it, it won't stifle innovation globally. And uh, just to, uh, you know, lean on that, lean into that, I completely see the self-regulation happening. I think that is both a function of increased transparency. Yeah. 
So you get real-time updates on Twitter. You know, anyone can opine, anyone can weigh in, can see what's happening, can give updates, can expose what's happening in the industry. And then you also have players such as LiFi, which is, a, you know, a bridge aggregation protocol, very innovative. And they're developing risk scores. They're developing their own types of, you know, regulation inside of the ecosystem. And so I personally... API. Same goes for Facebook. Um, there were billions of dollars worth of companies built on uh, a much more open Facebook many, many years ago. Um, and pretty much overnight, those things were closed down. They were closed down because those companies decided closed was better for their business model. Um, they could make more money um, by charging for the services that they were letting other people build on for free. Uh, what's the lesson there when institutions come to you guys and want to build on open source technology? Like, how do you, uh, how, how can these institutions sort of build the best of both those worlds where they're still creating value? Uh, some of that value is accruing to them because none of us are philanthropists in the space, um, but uh, they're still leveraging the benefits of this open source software. How, how do you, how do you strike that balance? So, like, I think, right? It's 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 all about a spectrum of uh, you know the different types of uh, different type of businesses and the different types of products that they'd like to build. I think so. You mentioned it earlier, and I fully agree. I think um, what we're seeing in that sp in this space right now is kind of a community community first. Um, Approach where you have to engage with a community and that community can be very opinionated and can be you know they want to rally behind some goal or some uh, value that they all share together and, and you know these so the new social rules of, of this web3 space so they have to build for them They have to rally the communities around something that these communities might believe in. So I think what we're seeing, again, in, in, in maybe in a different aspect, this paradigm shift is actually um, the power coming from the users and not not the, the actual institutions owning that, uh, you know, owning that power. And with that, um, I think one of the fundamental advantages of Web3 is sort of, you know, fundamentally changing cost structures. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use this DeFi as a perfect example of that. If one thinks of the infrastructure um, and the typical transaction flow process of a, a typical trade
have you know low operational expenditures so i do think that in any technology phase you obviously have again innovation and business models but also very importantly innovation and type of companies that get built and so i i would say to companies to you know take your example of twitter that sort of closed their you know their open apis and the infrastructure um my And uh, for a couple of years um, after the launch, a lot of the first movers like to talk about a world without banks. You know, Bitcoin was going to enable a world without banks. Obviously, banks are going very strong. In fact, many of them are actually doing business with Bitcoin and Bitcoin companies. Um, since then, you know, we started hearing about um, Uber without Uber, uh, Facebook without Facebook. Um, all of these big, giant uh, institutions uh, whose services might someday be boiled down to protocols that the community owns. How do you deal with that when, when you're trying to, to enable and empower institutions to capitalize on this, when um, they're being told so often that a lot of their services might someday become protocols? It's not that centralized companies will go away. They will just exist within the context of protocols. Edgenode is an example of that. We're one of the many centralized companies that exist within the context of the graph. Even, even if you look at like banking and finance, you still want someone to give you a call and be like, hey, you're getting close to your liquidation level. And so banks will still play a role within that. Custody is a great example of BitCo. Like not everyone's going to self-custody. You have to be a little nutty to do that. And so you'll still need these services. It's not like everything is going to be uprooted. However, there is, as Johan mentioned, a new business model in town, and that's the token. And so you no longer need to close off your APIs. And, and that's why decentralized tech is so important. Like, don't build on centralized tech where they can someday shut you down or shut you off. And um, the business models, like, within Web2, like, let's learn the lessons. Do you really want to make all of your users the product and lock them in and make them pay attention to your platforms as long as possible by selling them fake news. Like that is not what the internet was created for. So let's work together to shift it. And now that we have to tokens, you can build business models around tokens and it's how you can have sustainable decentralized open source. Can we get the bathroom here? Yeah, hold on.
them and users in the long run. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, so yeah, just one thing. I think uh, it's kind of inherent in the like if you want to build something on blockchain, it is interoperable, right? So like and a large value of the blockchain is the interoperability. So we're talking about like when you're talking about having games on blockchains or you know NFTs or in-game currencies um, being tokenized on the blockchain, you want to then take that out to I don't know DeFi, put it in a in a pool, enjoy liquidity, and opening up to like more international market. So you know basically what you're saying is that if we're going to silo that in, you're not enjoying any of the benefits that blockchain gives you. So to Jan's points of actually developing new business models, like you have to, uh, if you want to enjoy all this kind of uh, um, interoperability connections between chains, between protocols, um, and you want to play in that game, you have to be, uh, you have to be interoperable. You have to connect to that. You cannot keep that siloed in. Yeah, I just want to just, uh, go ahead, uh, Tegan, you go first. I was just going to say, absolutely, it's like these Lego building blocks, but kind of on the topic of banks, back in the day, you needed banks, right? You needed banks to buy other companies. You needed them to be able to invest, to be able to trade. We don't need that as much anymore. So if the banks need to shift the way that they do business and operate to the context of this ecosystem. And I worked inside of banks, and I'll tell you, the tech stacks inside of banks are horrible because they grew so quickly. They just threw tech together and it breaks. It's like a Jenga building block and it like breaks all the time. And so the bank should really embrace this because they need new tech. They need, they're ripe for, for innovation. So I hope to see more, more embracing as opposed to fear. On that, on that point, yeah, on that point, just to close the loop fully, open source wins at least to better software. I don't know if anyone here is aware of the Apache Foundation, but like the vast majority of event-driven uh, database technology and then event-driven analysis. A lot of these big data analysis platforms are built and funded through the Apache Foundation, which is really open source. So Apache Kafka, for example, like rapidly growing market share. There are public companies that serve as consulting arms to Apache Kafka, helping companies integrate this. But the fact that it's open source has allowed it to be higher quality and that ecosystem is extremely strong. The issue is that there was no business model for open source originally. So now that we have combined the open source model with the legal financial primitive of token and NFT, we can actually allow incentives to properly drive investment in this. And so, you know, to Tegan's point, Premier's point, Johan, this this is now properly incentivized. It's now being adopted. And it's really like it's a matter of when do you buy in and how do you buy in quickly enough to not get left behind by your competition. I love that. Uh, one last question on uh, new business models before we get to, um, as, as Joseph put it earlier, uh, adding jet fuel to existing business models is this idea of uh, how do you do that? Uh, I, I love the example that Tegan gave about um, the, the, the messiness of the existing financial tech stack. And, and the awareness of people who are in that industry to see where their weaknesses are and how they might position themselves uh, to either prevent from being disintermediated or build a bridge to the future. Um, when you expand that and you start looking at those other examples I gave, uh, you know, Facebook without Facebook, so social networks, um, Uber without Uber, transportation networks, um, all of these other industries, uh, Johan, um, give us some advice to people who are in these industries who might be on the hit list 
Uh, how do you, how, what do you do? I mean, I'm imagining like some Buddhist monks sitting around meditating, trying to figure out what the future is. Um, but but in, in all seriousness, uh, how do um, institutions who find themselves potentially being disintermediated come up with the next step in a way that keeps them from losing that advantage? Yeah, I think um, you find that technology is often a force and function in this regard. And maybe a good means model to hold this one look back. One looks back to sort of um, the, the birth of the internet and web 2.0. You have seen over that time period, um, obviously companies being deeply disruptive. And I think that because technology plays such a sharp and strong forcing function, you have companies just having to adjust in order to stay alive. And so, you know, I think a, a good example to maybe pick on Forbes for a second, um, you know, the media business has had to evolve into becoming a technology company, right? Um, Arguably, most media businesses are tech companies. They've got product managers, they have engineers, they have designers, they're creating content, they're building products. And that has been very much a forcing function of, you know, of, of the internet, sort of its birth and, and then changing environments. And I think very, it's very much the same thing will happen within Web3. And we're starting to see sort of the same um, waves uh, emerge within the ecosystem generally. So what does it look like? Normally, this entails, you know, maybe two years ago, um, a, a Fortune 200 company or 2000 company potentially hiring some consultants to advise them about what blockchain is, or what Web3 is. About a year or 18 months ago, they've all hired internal blockchain advisors or maybe a, a team or a you know, head of blockchain to help them sort of pass through what Web3 is, come up with an NFT strategy. And what will happen next is they'll start hiring product managers, they'll start hiring engineers, they'll start hiring designers, and you'll see the same evolution play out within Web3 as you did within the previous uh, cycles. And so um, I think we're very much, again, at an early stage. We're very much at a stage where these companies are looking to the experts, they're looking to consensus, they're looking to what other the panelists on, uh, on this call today to help them sort of navigate these waters. But no doubt over time, as Web3 eats the world, as I think we all believe it will do, you'll start seeing companies you know, uh, building themselves with Web3 experts within. Awesome. So I'm glad you used Forbes as an example. Um, uh, Forbes is, in fact, hiring, wink, wink. Uh, but we're not the only ones. Uh, I, I, in part of my research for this this conversation, uh, I, I got online and did a quick search for uh, BitGo Web3, and I got a lot of job hits. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what are the first hires um, when we're when we're taking those baby steps. Uh, Johan, you gave some great examples, but uh, Joseph, maybe you could be a little more concrete, and I'd love to hear other people chime in based on maybe your clients, your customers, um, who are they hiring? Uh, but when when we're looking to take those steps from these, these abstract theoretical new business models into some of the community building that uh, Omar mentioned earlier, uh, some of the NFT collection creations that have been mentioned, like how do you go from the theoretical to the real? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to jump in here. I think, you know, and it's exciting to talk about community building. It's exciting to talk about NFT drops, tokens. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, one service that we offer that's very differentiated that a lot of companies have been asking for is just treasury management, which is as simple as, you know, we're receiving payments in crypto. How do we manage that and, you know, keep it in a regulated entity? 
how do we make sure that we're doing the right tax reporting? How do we make sure that we know what we own, manage our wallets, wallet infrastructure, and then convert that into US dollars? Uh, you know, sometimes it's possible because you don't want to take the currency risk. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's back to basics, right? Like, I think there's the, like, how do we win Web3? How do we show that we're innovative? How do we put our IP on chain? How do we monetize that? But what Bitcoin is really great for is, you know, both helping with that, but also helping at a very foundational level with the infrastructure that every company needs, simply to function and be compliant and make sure that they're confident that they won't lose their crypto and they're able to seamlessly move back and forth between fiat and crypto and that there's, you know, regulated entity and a group of people who are very dedicated to that security and that trust behind the company. So this idea of hiring, um, I, I'd love to get some specific job titles. Like, I think it would be kind of cool to hear, you know, like in, in a really concrete way, what is what is the first step? What are some common first hires that you guys are seeing? From institutions that want to start exploring territory. I would say it's hiring a strong a PM, like, project manager, and then also hiring a strong business person and letting them kind of build out their teams and really making sure that they're passionate about crypto. So what does that look like? They're going to conferences, they're in, in starting, they're on crypto Twitter, they're communicating with the community, they're on Telegram and communicating in different Telegram groups. But going to conferences is really crucial to seeing that passion. And then you also need to send your team that's working in the Web3 and crypto space to different Web3 and crypto conferences and events, and that's really when I know an institution is, is starting to take it seriously is when I start seeing people from Google and Amazon at these crypto events. I, I would say, like in a way, some sort of a block, blockchain researcher. I think that's like, for me, like a great, like that reports all of these, all of these companies have um, innovation arts, right? They have, uh, um, these parts of the companies that spin up um, accelerators and are looking at investments, right? And they're very innovative. So I think if you're a big institution and you have an innovation arm, which most do, no, hire a blockchain researcher, someone to make sense of all of this, some someone to take it down to the very basics to un so you can understand from... Basically, uh, you know, for the, for a from a business perspective, you understand from the top to bottom. From the basics to understand and to maybe even suggest some business models, right? And then you go ahead and you kind of inflate that with, you know, front-end, uh, front-end uh, um, PMs, back-end, and everything that needs to be done, right? I love so, that. So we got a project manager, a researcher. Can I get one? What, what's one more? Who wants to throw out one more? I will, I will throw out one more. And I think we can kind of bifurcate it into two different types of companies, right? You can consider companies that... I want to participate in Web3, but they don't want to build any infrastructure at a real level. They just want to hit APIs, use APIs that other people expose, hard logs, for example, expose APIs that are very useful. You can just hit them, you know, where they have to work. There are other companies that want to like collaborate more closely in terms of, you know, building smart contracts or 
uh, in like actually shipping smart contract technology or you know building like more core infrastructure. In either case, you need strong and strong uh, engineering. I think in the case where you're getting Firefox APIs, really strong front end engineering is actually more important than anything else. In the case of you know the infrastructure development, you're going to have to really invest in your engineering team, especially in crypto, more so than in other industries. If you don't have high quality engineering, if you don't understand how to integrate with providers that offer services in the market, you will, you, you'll lose. So I think it's really important to also have strong Flex actually uses the graph, the open APIs, and I think you made a really important point, Joseph, that within this industry and within this space, it's, it is really crucial to invest in engineering, but also you can outsource your back end. And that's the whole point of decentralized tech is so that you can outsource all the wonky stuff you don't want to do in-house and just focus on really great user experience and, and the front end. Yeah, and maybe sort of just to close that loop, I think this is all the, the magic of Web3, really. And it sort of paints through the, the, all the builders on this call. What Web3 offers is sort of a modularization of the stack. And so you've seen an innovation cycle that is second to none. And therefore, you have infrastructure being built at a pace that most people that come into the industry for the first time literally can't believe. And what that creates opportunity for, for the traditional organizations, is to think deeply about what application layer can live on top and only that user experience. And I think that's really important. And so all of us here are in parts of very much building an infrastructure layer to help companies scale on top of us. And maybe I'm actually, oh, go ahead. Maybe the last thing you need, just on the pace point, is to also get an espresso machine so you can keep up with the pace of innovation as well. And Doritos, right? Chips or something, right? <laughs> Coffee and chips. Uh, I love it. So I'm going to give you guys all um, uh, a, a, a rare opportunity uh, to, to plug a product. And the reason why is because I want to, I want to talk concrete about services, about how the, the, the um, ecosystem of Web3 is developing, how companies fit together, and more importantly for the purpose of our conversation today, um, how institutions can can build on that. I love the way that Johan put it, the modulation of the stack. Um, it, it used to be that you had to buy an entire tech stack all at once. Now you can you can buy bits and pieces of it. You can plug and play. You can, you know, almost this technology, if not all of it, is open source. So you can even modify, improve, change. Um, and and I, I think that, like, Making it very clear sort of how all of this stuff fits together is, is an important part for institutions to kind of identify that. Um, so uh, in, in, in the interest of uh, minimizing turning this into a commercial, uh, I, I want to ask, I'm going to go around everybody. I'm going to call on, on each of you, and I'd like to ask you to just quickly state uh, very clearly, what, where do you fit in that tech stack? Um, what is it that you guys are doing um, that, that helps institutions integrate with Web3? Um, Omar, uh, tell me. In 30 seconds, what is Fireblock? Uh, where, where do you fit into the tech stack? Um, and, and how are institutions um, building you guys, using you guys to build into Web3? Right. So at the core, um, we're, a, we're a wallet infrastructure, a very secured wallet infrastructure, uh, providing custody and basically securing your operations around crypto with our uh, transaction policy engine. 
Um, on top of that, we allow you access to uh, to DeFi and Web3 using uh, you know using a Wallet Connect or you know plugging into uh, into this Web3 DApp. And underneath, basically, we're uh, APIing all of that, so you can build that as strict or as modularized as you want. Uh, using leveraging our SDKs and APIs. So any operation that you would like to do on top of Web3 is available to you using Fireblocks, but also in a secure manner. So it, you're... Um, where do you fit into the tech stack um, and how are institutions using you to build into Web3? So we are a Web3 platform. We provide unrivaled access to Web3 with the most trusted one in the space, MetaMask, that gives you access to all 17,000 and exponentially increasing uh, dApps within the ecosystem. On top of that, we've built a range of capabilities to cater to institutions. Most importantly, we connect into custodians. So we take very much a agnostic approach and work with the best and breed partners across the globe. These are licensed custodians, uh, custody tech providers to make sure we can provide uh, key management in line with institutional needs. And then on top of that, we've built a range of capabilities to cater to institutional needs. So help them report, help them monitor, help them manage risk in terms of a KYT perspective. Awesome. Tegan, what is Edge and Node? Uh, where do you fit into the uh, Web3 tech stack and how are institutions working with you guys to integrate? Absolutely, yeah. So Edge and Node is a core dev within the Graph ecosystem and the Graph is a decentralized indexing and query protocol. So kind of like what Google does for the traditional web and organizing data, that's what the Graph does for Web3. And so you have the blockchain at the bottom or a layer two at the bottom or even a uh, storage layer like IPFS or Arweave. And the graph, it integrates with those and so that you can easily access the data on those different networks um, and build great applications on top that are truly permanent. Mr. Kinney? Thank you, sir. Uh, Beko recently, so Beko is a qualified custodian, also a programmatic hot wallet provider. We are your wholesome wallet solution. We also offer ancillary financial services as well. We just announced support, broad-based support for NFTs specifically the ERC 7.1 standard and 155 standard on Ethereum and expanding other issues as well. We're thoroughly excited about this because this is an industry first. And for any company that hasn't yet, this is those in it. And crypto is interested in participating, interested in using NFTs to develop relationships
Yeah, there's one, one left. I was going to get it, but I didn't have enough, but it was a pineapple pine. You know? I, I like those things. Oh, that's not what we do. I like... I like I'm a true climber. Yeah. I wanted to try it again, but I didn't know how it would be. I just like the fizzles of it. But that one's good. The bagel pineapple is always premium choice. You know? It is. I just don't know. Like, this one I thought it would be less um, sweet. Yeah. I thought it would be more tart. You know, my hands is like that now.
Can somebody please bring back the cheetah print? You know how hard that was to do? Like, to paint on the cheetah print and have it dyed that color? Yeah, like, they had it, like, painted. Somebody painted somebody's head with hair color, and it was cheetah and leopard print. Remember that? And it looked sick. And when they cut their hair shorter, the color was still there. Right? So they just, like, when it grew out, it was still, like, there. Jamie shits once every 20 minutes, she's saying. 
No, but there's some dudes. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, the people who are lactose intolerant, like, did their moms not breastfeed them? And it's a fucked up thing, and it, like, they're the ones that are like, they're like not really gay, but like, yeah. they've done stuff with guys. No, because they didn't actually. Yeah. And that's why there's that longing to do it. James is talking about uh, kids that are not breastfed or are breastfed. <coughs> Depending on that situation, there's a different outcome. Well, because it's a level of hormones, right? <laughs> so you have we to work out right by formula. Darius has strong And Darius, uh, test What about you, Did You were breastfed or were you bottled up? Yeah. Was he lactose? Uh, yeah, so you lactose? No, but like, um. I don't know. I just feel, I guess, like. It's weird, like, because milk said, like, having cereal would be, like, one of our, like, first memories. So this is very, like... It's bizarre because there's... You remember such a... And that's the bizarre thing. And I... Okay, so if you have... If you have cereal with somebody, like, some milk around somebody... I remember every time when you were like, great girl, she baby. Play. So, <coughs> this is what it is. And her and the guards are I feel the same way too. I'm going to like this year, but I don't like this year please. I'm kind of like lighting cabbage, like creepy And like these boys are fucking like psycho. Like they're, you want to know what they do? Like, hey, they literally brought downtown to the chaotic fucking creepy Heartland Beach memories. Like, if you see Michelle, 
Okay, we're back. I just imagined the worst and best in everybody. So I have this creepy like panels and ninja like downtown movie where we're all like the crazy and you. Um, and we're just like extreme trying to kill the versions of ourselves. In order to be any said like hostile syndicate or whatever, like if you want to do justice league, you gotta be like the justice league. Have to imagine yourself as like the best worst friend you have. It's 
Thank you. 